What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, and we are going back to Montana State here, man. We, we we're trying to get to y'all's request from up there, um, up there in Montana, but we got our guy Lewis Kid, offensive tackle, Montana State, multi-time FCS All-American, All Big Sky selection multiple times as well, and one of the top FCS offensive tackles in this year's upcoming NFL draft. So, Lewis, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Excited to get going. For sure. So before you became one of the faces of this program, you you were you were coming out, you know, uh, in in high school uh, up north, and you know, what was your recruiting process like? Walk me through it. Who was recruiting you the hardest? And overall, looking back, what what, what was the process like for you? Yeah. So actually, uh, Montana State was, I think, my last offer. Like they offered me the latest. Um, my first offer was from University of South Dakota, um, and then I got an offer from uh, the school over the hill down there in Montana, and uh, I took a visit there in Missoula, and uh, you know, it was my first college visit. Visit, I really enjoyed it, uh, and I made a really good connection with Ty Graygrack, who was the uh, defense coordinator there. He was the one who was recruiting uh, the Minnesota area, and so I got connected with him, like, Basically, like, got to spend more time with him than I would have because they didn't – something happened with our flights and the four or five of us that were on a trip that weekend, uh, they didn't check us in in time or something like that. So we got to the airport and we ended up getting delayed, like, six or seven hours. So we had to get sent back to our hotel room and Coach Gregory actually picked me up and, like, got me food and, like, brought me back to his office and we watched Sunday football together and stuff like that. And I got to meet his wife and all that stuff. And so – Developed that relationship there, and then um, so I was recruited huge by them, and then uh, also had FBS. I had an FBS offer from New Mexico, and I had some interest from uh, UConn, and it was interesting because both UConn and um, New Mexico wanted me for D line, and so that was kind of what I was comfortable with. Like I played O line, but I, I wanted to you know try to continue to play D line as best as I could. Um, kind of a, you know, young kid just wanted to keep doing that, whatever. Probably wasn't the smartest thing for me to be trying to do, but it is what it is. It all worked out. Um, and so then I, a few weeks later after my visit, I heard Coach Greg Rack was leaving and he was going to Montana State. And I didn't really have any contact with Montana State. Um, and so I was just kind of not necessarily in the dark, but I just didn't know what was going on there. And ended up getting a call from him. He was like, hey, I'm here at Montana State now, and I want you to come visit here, and I want you to come with me and come play D-line here. And, you know, so I went, came to Bozeman and loved it. I immediately felt at home. I knew it was right where I wanted to be and got back from my recruiting trip on Sunday and committed that night. So talked to my parents and all that stuff. So um, it was awesome to develop that connection and then instantly just the, the I could just feel the difference being in Missoula and between Bozeman. And um, I felt more at home at Bozeman and it's the best decision I made for sure. <laughs> I'm sure all those Montana state fans are going to love to hear that, man. But you know, the FCS was in a real tough spot, especially this past spring season with COVID. A lot of programs just canceled the season. Some tried to play, played one as, as few as one and some played a full season at, at, if they could for you. How did you stay ready and how, how tough was the COVID season on yourself and the program? Yeah, it, it was tough. Um, 
I think not, you know, obviously there's some FCS guys and all that, everybody like, but everybody who experienced that and went through it, like there was for everybody, even if you did play, there was a time when you were practicing, you were working out and you had no idea if you were going to play. You had no idea if there was games on the schedule. You had no idea if you were going to even be able to come in to work out the next day. I mean, we were getting canceled and quarantined and close contacted and all that stuff. And it was just such an uncertain time in the world, obviously. And then specifically in our group, like it was just so weird because, you know, you go and all college athletes will tell you it's everything scheduled, you know, it's like dot, boom, 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 boom. All right. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. This is exactly what I have. I know where I got to be when I got to be there. And during quarantine and during COVID and stuff like that, it was it was almost just like football life just paused. And it was it, there were some cool aspects about it. It was nice to kind of, you know, connect and do stuff with that, like with guys on the team as best we could. But it was also just weird and kind of tough mentally. Like I know there are so many guys um, that, you know, we were just we didn't know what like we were suiting up in full pads, getting ready to go practice. And it's like, well, what are we doing like? We know we're not going to play this season. Like we know we might not even play in the spring. And, and for us, you know, we didn't even play in the spring because I don't, I'm, I'm, I think the decision was right. I don't think we would have been able to get any type of good solid practices in and Bozeman during that time, just because I mean, the weather is crazy. Um, and obviously with the coaching change during that time, it was just like, it wasn't, it wasn't in the cards for us. And I think it was, you know, the best decision for our program. But, it, I mean, again, like I said, it was just a crazy time, full of uncertainty. Um, you know, lost lost a good amount of guys who were just like, you know, at this point, like, this is kind of taking my sign. Like, I'm kind of taking this as a sign. I'm going to call it some guys that could have come back for another year and didn't want to, wanted to move on. And so, um, you know, losing those guys that you came in with and some of that was, was tough. But, um, you know, obviously it was awesome. And for those of us that stuck it out and those of us that continued to go through with it, it you know, it paid off. and. We ended up finishing with a pretty good season. So, um, you know, a lot of people were transferring. A lot of people were moving around. And I was just like, you know, I'm just going to stay put, um, finish what I started here. Um, I don't want to go anywhere else and make new friendships and all this other stuff just for, you know, six, seven months. I just I didn't see the point in that. I didn't I didn't want to do that. And so I think it's, again, one of the better decisions I made for sure. I mean, you definitely did, man. You guys made it all the way to the FCS championship game this year. First team since 1984 for Montana State. So for you, outside of the outside of the national championship appearance, what were some of your final takeaways on this 2021 season? Yeah, I mean, this season, I mean, to go out as a senior uh, to play in the national championship, there's not much more you can ask for, you know, um, to play the way we did all season. And to be surrounded by a group of guys who were all focused uh, towards a common goal uh, was awesome. And just to see where, you know, where I came in 2016 to see where the team was at. And obviously, you know, I redshirted that year, but from every year on just building up and each year continually getting better um, from the day I got there, you know, coach Choate when he first got there and um, all of our coaching staff, stuff like that, it was like, they were preaching, leave the better, leave the program better than you found it. Right. Um, and so going out as a senior like that, um, I think we were what, like four and four and seven or three and eight in 2016. And then to go out the way we did is just like, I feel like I left the program better than I found it, you know? And I think the guys under us and the coaching staff now there, 
is only going to continue to elevate that and continue to bring that program, um, you know, continue to keep them at the national level and um, relevant for sure for years to come. They de- they definitely are. And, you know, you guys, it, I felt like we're in a very like a very unique place entering the playoffs. You know, one of your starting quarterbacks transfers out the like two or three days before the first, like first round of the playoffs. You guys have a true freshman step in who lived up to all expectations with, with, with Tommy, of course. And then in the championship game, a third quarterback had to step in but due, due to Tommy's injury, man. So entering the playoffs, how were you guys so ready to face the adversity that you guys were kind of going through into the playoffs? Yeah, so I think it starts all the way back when Coach Vegan got hired. Um, prior to that, uh, we didn't – I mean, we focused on spring ball. We, you know, we took it seriously, all that stuff. But uh, Coach Cho's philosophy and Coach Vegan's philosophy were just completely different. Um, coach Choate was kind of, all right, let's pick two weeks and see when the best weather is going to be in the spring and let's knock out as many practices as we can. Um, as long as the weather is good and the, the field is good, um, we'll knock them out and get it done. And, you know, some days we'd practice inside the stadium, like inside the basketball arena and we'd finish 25 minutes early to put the basketball court back together because basketball was coming in later that day to practice and stuff like that. So, um, like, we were even, you know, obviously, like, you're still getting work, you're still practicing, you're still doing ball, but it's it's different. And when Coach Vegan came in, you know, the first thing he said, he's like, we're going to do a traditional spring ball, we're going to go five weeks, we're going to go three days a week, and we're going to practice every day. And his new philosophy that we weren't necessarily used to was um, double repping everything. And so, you know, you have your – first and second group and your third and fourth group and they're split on either end of the field doing, you know, 40 reps or 25 reps. Right. And you're just doing 25 reps continuously. And then at the end you take a break five minutes and then you flip flop sides and the scripts stay on the same side, but the guys are just changing. So everybody's getting the same amount of reps in the same type of reps every single day. Uh, and at first, it was really tough to see, like, okay, what are we doing? Because especially in spring ball, we had some injuries. And I think it was a combination of, you know, we were doing a lot right right off the bat in spring ball, but also just because, you know, we had been on a year hiatus, right? We didn't play in the, we didn't play in the fall. Um, you know, everything was kind of uncertain, so we didn't really get all that great work that we could get during the COVID time. But now we're coming back, and it's kind of like from zero to 100 really fast. And so, you know, we had some injuries. Luckily, nobody who got injured was like, a, you know, I think we had one who was bad or, you know, wasn't going to be able to come back for the season. But everybody was, for the most part, like, okay, out for a couple of weeks or going to miss the remainder of spring ball. We'll be able to be back for summer workouts and stuff like that. Um, and so I think then at that time, it was like, okay, what, what are we doing? Like, I think guys were kind of like, you know, why are we doing this? Like, I'm so tired. It's so tiring. Like, this sucks. And it was for a while, like it was a grind. And, um, but getting done with that, like you could just see, like as a senior, I could just see that like freshmen, those young guys, all that stuff, like there was a better understanding, like full understanding. So like, it wasn't just like, oh, the seniors and juniors know what they're doing. It was like the freshmen know the same thing. They might not obviously be able to, you know, get the same verbiage and all that stuff like that. And, be perfect but they understand the concepts 
And then it really showed when we got to fall camp and we kind of started doing that for the first couple weeks of fall camp. And I mean, even like the freshman, like I noticed there was less, you know, especially because when freshmen come in and younger guys rotate in, I mean, as a freshman, you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of stuff. This is your first time in college ball. Like you're drinking through a, a fire hose, right? So it's a lot of stuff right at you. And so there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of busted plays. There's a lot like that. And I noticed right off the bat, like when we finished fall camp, I was like, there is like only a handful of plays I can remember that were like busts, that guys were going the wrong way or didn't know what play was going on. And it's because all of us have been taking the same amount of reps every single day since, you know, the new staff came in. So I think that helped, especially, you know, going throughout the season and, you know, all those injuries just a part of the game and having guys ready. So it's not, oh, well, you know, I, I did take this rep, but it was back in spring ball and I only did it once, but it's like, yeah, I've taken every single rep that the starter's taken. And I know all the plays that the starter knows. So now it's just going in and doing it. Um, so I think that's, you know, kind of a testament to what we started doing there. And, you know, obviously, like you said, it was a crazy time and obviously didn't finish the regular season the way we wanted to. And I think that as unfortunate as that was, and as poor of a game it was to lose on, um, you know, we kind of talked about it as like, it's kind of a wake up call because some of the things that we were, that we were doing were kind of being masked by us winning. Uh, some of the things that weren't working for us necessarily. So um, that loss kind of just shifted the mentality and got us back on track to make the deep run and finish strong, basically. And and you guys did finish finish strong. I mean, that, that performance against, uh, I, I believe it was Sam Houston, man. I mean, that I remember coming on the show and being like, I, I don't know where that came from. That that was insane. And I mean, you guys set you guys set YouTube on fire with that one, but this offseason, man, you got a, you got an opportunity to go play in the NFL PA Bowl. I mean, you guys were well represented in that game too. Three Montana State players. So for you, what was your experience like, and what what and, and how did it feel to suit up with three of your teammates one last time? Yeah, I mean, it was awesome, a blessing. You know, just more football, right? I mean, that's all anybody ever wants, especially when you're going out as a senior. It's like, what else can I do? You know, it's weird that I kind of was – it just kind of felt like I was in the mode because, you know, I went to the, the CGS right after the um, the College Ground Showcase, right after the championship game, and did that, and then got the invite from there to the NFLPA. So it was basically like I just was extending my season a couple of weeks, which I was just like, you know, this is cool. Like it didn't really even set in that I was done with football. Um at that time, like I was done with college football because it just felt like I was continuing that. But the NFL PA Bowl and CGS, but I mean, both were awesome experiences. And the NFL PA Bowl is just, there's so much great, um, great opportunities and great um, competition all week long. And um, it was really awesome to meet a bunch of different guys from all different levels. Um, it was cool to be like with O Lyman and kind of see the, cause the biggest thing for me that was kind of like tough right away was when we first got there, they sent out the playbooks and I was looking through them. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm lost. Like I have no idea. We have to learn this in a week. And then we broke it down and kind of, we sat in the film room and talked about it all. And in like an hour, I was like, I know all these plays. And it was just because like, what I realized is like every place does very similar things, if not the same things. And it's just different verbiage. So it's like if you can learn and pick up the verbiage and equate it to what you know, 
it's it's pretty simple and i i really enjoyed it because the the group of old linemen i got to work with were awesome and um you know 10 of us we worked really well together and all of us kind of you know knew how to play with one another pretty quickly which is i learned is kind of not super common in those in the senior games like it's that's tough especially as an old lineman when you have to play five as one together um it's tough in a week to build that chemistry and make sure you're all on the same page but um it like i said it was an awesome experience talking to scouts talking to different coaches learning from um you know the greats and the you know the retired nfl guys hall of famers like all that stuff it's it was an amazing opportunity i'm just really glad i got the chance to do it I, you know, I feel like you kind of took a peek at my questions, too, on that one, man, because the next question was about chemistry on the O-line. You know, I, I used to play O-line, so I always geek out on the show on O-line play. I love having O-linemen on the show because I don't think unless you've played O-line, you understand what chemistry means for those front five guys because you can have all – you can have the best five offensive linemen in the country, and if they don't they don't communicate, they don't have any chemistry, they're not going to be – very good as a unit. So for you, kind of speak on how important chemistry is along the offensive line and why that Montana State offensive line was so successful for multiple years. Yeah, you know, I think, um, like you said, like a lot of people don't necessarily understand that, especially on the O-line, like it takes all five of you guys doing the exact, doing the right thing to make the play successful. Um, You know, you heard the expression, it starts up front on both sides, but it's like if – you know, there's plenty of plays I can, I can pluck out myself where, you know, I didn't get a block done and all four of my guys are getting their job done perfectly. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And backside guy slips through and makes a play in the backfield. It's like the worst feeling in the world because it's like, it's not like, oh, I suck. It's like I let down my guys next to me who were working their ass off to, to get their job done. And uh, I think, you know, anybody on the O-line who who's played – can say and make that testament because it's just like, you know, you don't want to let the guys down next to you. And I think throughout my years there, we just, the O-line was always the tightest group. When I first got to Montana State, I played D-line. And so I was kind of like just on the outside, like I still kind of hung out with them, still kind of saw them, but it was like, I was always just like, God, they're kind of weird. Like they're kind of like, I don't know, they're kind of different. And then when I moved to O-line, I was just like slid right in and I'm like, oh gosh, now I'm sure people are saying like, oh, we're kind of weird. But it's like, (laughs) it's just like so much tighter of a group. And, um, you know, I think our coach, our coaches throughout the year, Coach Armstrong, um, Coach Toffolele, who ended up coaching us for, I think, two seasons. And those guys really instilled that and helped push the the relationships. You know, Um, I talked to some guys at these different all-star games and they were like, you know, my old line was, you know, we barely talked. Like we talked when we went to practice, we didn't hang out on the field, like off the field and stuff like that. I mean, we would do old line dinners. We would hang out at coach. I mean, we would do stuff together. And I think building that off the field chemistry just only helped with um, the on-field stuff. And there was rarely ever a problem. I mean, you know, we'd have, obviously there'd be some issues every once in a while or, but I would equate it to like, you know, if you have siblings or like a, a brothers and stuff like that, it's like, you know, oh, like F you, like I'm kind of pissed off at you, but it's like, you know, kind of a brotherly love type thing. So, um, but it, I mean, it's awesome. Just the, those relationships, like, and how tight that group was and how tight we were for all my years, there's something I'll cherish for sure. Oh, man, I like it. And so let's get to know you a bit as a player more, Mass. What all this is about is promoting the players. So when you look at your game, which NFL player do you think you model your game after the most? 
I mean, that's tough. Um, I mean, I don't know if I model my game, but I like this year for sure. Like every game before before we went out to to the field to take the field, I was watching Trent Williams highlights. Like I was just like, that dude's a bad man. He's an athlete. he's an athletic freak. Like just absolutely crazy the things he can do. Because I, I like I'm not saying like I emulate Trent. I can do what he does. I'm just saying like I would watch that and be like, if I can do anything that he does like it's all like that's going to help me and all that stuff and just you know the the tenacity like how ferocious he is like his speed his technique all that stuff so um he's one guy that i just especially this year look to um teron smith was a huge one for me last year uh obviously like quentin nelson like those kind of the big names but i mean those guys are just like when you watch them it's like gosh like i like and it's it's funny because you can pick things out like from a coaching standpoint or like oh well you know when you're coaching O line it's like okay well his steps aren't like but it's like they just naturally have the but like doesn't even matter that they crossed over their feet got like they're still just getting things done so well and it's it's awesome to see and I try to just pick up little things as best as I can to see if I can emulate that or try to at least. Oh man, uh, Trent Williams doesn't get enough respect. He's got to be in that conversation as one of the best offensive tackles of all time, in my opinion. I don't. I feel like he gets kind of dissed when it comes to that man. But you know, for me, I was very superstitious when I played. I had to listen to certain songs, do certain yeah, things yeah. before a game. For you, what are your pregame routines that you have to do on game days? Yeah, so I got to go out. Um, because I don't know. Like I kind of develop different ones throughout throughout the years and. I'd always tell myself, like, all right, don't be super superstitious this year. Like, just do whatever. And then I always end up just being like, oh, we won big. And I played well. So I'd always get into my little thing. Um, big one for me was, like, getting to the to the spot, whether we were home or away. Um, I would always do, like, walk to the 50, walk back, do a little light stretch, all that stuff. And then I was always trying to be, like, one of the first ones ready, even though offensive line didn't go out for a while. Um and then I go out there, do my own like dynamic warm up, um, go through all my steps, uh, go through you know inside zone, wide zone, pass pro, just on air, um, just get moving, get the blood flowing. Um, you know I'd have specific songs that I would cue up and play during, so I could kind of time it out. I was like, all right, when I'm here, I'm listening to this song. When I'm here, I'm listening to this song. Um, and then you know watching the Trent Williams highlights this year was a huge one and then I'd always always pray right before um right before I went out and then you know we take the field and and we get it and we got after it and I wasn't a crazy super you know super superstitious but you know I always had my little kind of routine what kind of like like I would always chew gum like right before the game like right when we got in there and I'd all like we would have like um all these packs of gum like laying out and there'd be like green, blue, red, whatever it was. And I'd always try to pick like the color that was furthest away from the team we were playing. So if we were playing like the, if we were playing Eastern Washington, I'd pick the bluest blue gum you could get. So I wasn't chewing anything like with red. Like, I don't know. It's just like <laughs> that, that was even like some minor that I would get into. But yeah. That that is the best. I'll I'll, I'll love every bit of that, man. You, you said we cannot chew the same color as, as too, <laughs> exactly, too exactly. close. But I know I know a bunch of big sky defensive linemen are probably happy that you're off to the NFL now, man. But looking back, one on one, what's the number one mistake a defensive lineman can make against you? 
give me their chest. I, I mean, I guess is like not specific to me, but just I, I, you know, I feel like especially for the level I came from and just um, where I had an edge was was the length I could play with, and if I could get hands on and grab somebody's chest, like I, I, I had won the block. There was not really much. Um, not much going on besides that, that I was going to lose a block if I had control your chest. So, uh, especially in the past pro, like specifically just, you know, if I had my arms extended and had my hands on you and had you locked out, like you weren't, you weren't going to be moving very far. So that was probably one of the bigger mistakes. <laughs> I, I love it, man. And you know, for me, I know I was pretty bad when I was playing in terms of trash talking, it gets heated on the offensive line and defense line. You got the same, like maybe two, three guys all game long. Yeah. This is different. So for you, how big of a trash talker are you during the game? Uh, see, I guess it depends who you ask. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Like I'm not a big talker. I I I mean I, I am a big talker, but I'm I'm more just kind of BSing with guys, like just kind of like chit chatting. Like I'm not I'm not I never start stuff. Like I'm never like out of my way trash talking somebody. But you know sometimes there's D linemen that that's how they play, and you know they want to get after you, so it's kind of you know a little bit of a retaliation thing. And um, but most of the time I'm just trying to make dudes laugh and joke around and get them off their game, so they think like oh well he's you know he's not really you know, he's kind of not focused, but I'm really like kind of just trying to throw them off a little bit or make a joke about, make a joke about one of our O-linemen to them and like kind of laugh at them, like just kind of see. And I think it's always fun when you get D-linemen that are, there's always like two types of D-linemen. There's never really any in between. It's like you either get the guys that are just straight, like hard, like they won't say a word to you. Like they'll talk, they'll talk crap. They'll, they'll do all that stuff. They're like mean mugging you the whole game. And then you'll get guys who are like, you know, they'll kind of mess around. They'll talk back to you. It'll be, oh, great, good block, or I got after you on that one. And I always think the latter is a little bit more fun, but it's also fun to see those guys just kind of like those guys who are just mean and uptight, like after the game. It's like, was it worth it? Like, you got your butt kicked anyway. Like, <laughs> could add some fun. But. So, oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I love it, man. I love it. And so, you know, I know in practice, I, I know practice, it, it, you know, going up against the same guys repeatedly. Can, so who is the biggest trash talker on Montana State? You can give me an offensive guy and a defensive guy. Oh, my gosh. Trash talker on offense. That's tough because we didn't have a lot of them. Let me do defense first. Defense, I got to do a tie. A tie. <laughs> And it's between Jeff Manning, uh, who played in the secondary, Ty Okada, who played in the secondary, and Troy Anderson. Those three, like whenever we would do any any type of crossover or anything, those two, those three were always like chirping, always jaw, like it was always them. And it sucked because it was really frustrating for like with Troy because like. Sometimes, like, we would have plays that would, like, carry over, and he would hear them, and he would know our calls. And, like, because he played on offense. Like, he yeah, literally last year, like, we <laughs> put him behind us, all that stuff. So it's, like, he knows what, like, where the double teams are coming, and he's talking crap and all this stuff. And it's, like, all right, Troy, like, it's not even fair for you. Like, <laughs> you're just cheating at that point. Um, no, those guys, those guys get after it. It makes it a lot of fun. Um, and then on offense, biggest trash talker. Maybe 
probably Willie Patterson, actually. Yeah, I'll say Willie Patterson. He's he's a little firecracker. He likes to <laughs> he likes to talk his talk. So yeah, uh, I I like it, man. Yeah, I I can imagine, man. Troy Troy had off all quarterback figured out, running back figured yeah. out, middle linebacker. Yeah, uh, yeah they, <laughs> they had to take him off the field sometimes. That, yeah, you, you mentioned that. That's that's not fair at all. But for you, man. You know, it, throughout your career, you can pick, you know, some players on your t- on your team and some ones you've faced, you know, from other teams. Who are some of the best defensive players you've ever had to face? Yeah, I mean, as far as our team, like, I got to face so many throughout my career. Um, you know, especially, like, interior, like Chase Benson, Tucker Yates, Tyrone Fontenot, like, all these dudes that I got to learn and kind of go against when I was younger. Um, these strong, huge, you know, guys who were just beasts in interior wise. And then um, this year specifically, like Mondre Williams, Daniel Hardy, like those two got me so like when I first got to fall camp, I was still kind of in like getting used to the tackle and getting used to the sets and all that stuff. And I was just like, gosh, like I really hope I can get this stuff down for the season and be the tackle, be the guy, be the player that I want to be this season. And those two helped me so much. I mean, they were – I mean, they would torch me. Like, I would get burned by those guys every day, especially right at the beginning. I was just like, God, this is frustrating. Like, even, uh, you know, like Brody Greeby, who was a younger guy, but even like those – like, I would get torched by these guys sometimes. And I'm like, okay, I got to really figure myself out. And so I, I really give kudos to those guys because they for sure helped me kind of settle into that position. And when I was going against those dudes and getting beat, it was kind of like, you know, Coach Armstrong or Coach pulled, pulled me aside. He's like, you know, yeah, you're getting beaten. This technique needs to be fixed and all that stuff. But it's like if you can get blocking these guys consistently, like you're going to this is this is kind of the peak level of competition you're going to see throughout the year. Um, and that was true. Um, as far as other teams uh, in the national championship, Braden Thomas, I think his name was DN number 98. Yeah. Um, he was solid. Uh, very good player. Very good DN. Uh, and then another big one that comes to mind, George Tarlis, who was at Weeper. Uh, I think he's in the transfer portal or has transferred mm-hmm. or something like that. But those two, I for sure say, were just, you know, big, long, athletic, high motor guys that could make a lot of plays. Oh yeah, if if you listen, if you're going up against Daniel and Amandre every day, I don't I don't think you're going to find a better like combo edge exactly. edge rushers than those guys, man. Those exactly. elite elite it helped, guys. It helped a lot. It helped a lot for sure, <laughs> man. But you know, it it happens every year, and me covering the FCS, I see it from other shows and things like that who cover FBS. But what is your response to those who may overlook you in the NFL draft process for playing at the FCS level? Yeah, I mean. I understand, like, I think a lot of people who don't understand football super well do that. And I think, yep. you know, you ask a standard person, like, oh, yeah, well, I played for Washington, well, I played for Montana, whatever it is. Like, there's great players at every level. And then even, you know, you talk about the FCS or, oh, D2 or D3. And, it, I mean, and it's coming out more and more, the guys that are getting invited to these these senior games every year and they're showing out and they're going and competing. And it's like, oh, well, this guy fits right in. And it's like, well, yeah, there's great athletes and great players at every level. And as far as being overlooked, you know, as long as you're not being overlooked by the the right guys, you know what I'm saying? Um, right. Like if there's somebody on the team, like for me, the, the way I think about it is like, I don't care who overlooks me. I don't care who doesn't want anything to do with me because I came from an FBS, FCS or a small school or whatever it is. Like 
as long as there's one team out there that believes in me and believes in my abilities and I can get my foot in the door, like that's all that matters. Um, I know who I am. I know the player I am. I know that I can compete at the next level. And I know there's many other guys in my shoes who have the same mentality. And I mean, there's guys all over the league that you can look at that are putting us, putting us on the map per se at every level. Um, you know, Cooper cup, super Bowl MVP. Yep. I watched, I was on the sideline with him, not with him, but I was on the sideline in 2016, watching him whoop our ass in a, in a game. And it's like, you know, there's guys like that all over the place. So to see guys like that and, you know, other dudes in the league and all that stuff, it, it gives you a lot of confidence and it, it just makes me excited because it's like all you really need to do is get your foot in the door and show that you can play and compete. Oh, man, I'm going to have to clip that. That that was the best answer, that question I've had. As you mentioned, I think this year especially had – FCS players have showed out at every all-star game. Christian Watson and Troy down at the senior bowl blew people away. Like oh glass Dale, Lance McCutcheon, and I'm blanking on the kid's name from I believe it's Norfolk State, who had a huge game in the yeah. NFL PA game as well. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, FCS players have been all in the news throughout the all season, man. So that was that a great, great answer to that one. And then finally, man, I know you've probably been asked this in the draft process thus far, but if an NFL franchise asks you what they're going to get, if they draft Lewis kid in April, what do you tell them? Uh, they're going to get a guy who's no BS, you know, a very hard worker, uh, an offensive lineman who is uh, versatile, can play multiple spots on the offensive line. Um, will not have any issues on or off the field. Uh, A smart guy who can really help elevate a team and assimilate into any culture and help elevate that program. Oh man! Listen, I'm expecting it. I've, I've, I, I don't say it to everyone I have on the show, but man, you, if if, if I don't see your name called in April, we're we're having a whole episode here. We're gonna invite you back on, and we're right. we're, we're gonna talk about it, man. But for you, for you, this is all about supporting the players. Where can people follow your draft process, man? What are your social medias? Any any shout outs you need to give, man? This time is yours. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I just want to shout out to my entire family, all my friends, uh, Montana State, obviously, um, I wouldn't be here with the many people that have helped get me here, um, have a lot of support. And I'm very appreciative of that. Um, you know, social media on Twitter, and Instagram, all that stuff. I mean, it's just Lewis kids. So shouldn't be too hard to find. Just look for the the hair and the all that stuff. So um <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate you having me on here. It's been awesome and a lot of fun. Oh, for sure, man. Listen, guys, make sure to go follow Lewis's draft journey. His social media will be linked below, and you can follow everything he's got going on up until April. And, of course, when he gets drafted, I'm expecting all y'all to go out, go out and buy, buy my guy's jersey. I know we're going to be supporting him here on the Blue Bloods, but, guys, for Lewis, myself, and the Blue Bloods, we are out for right now.